And welcome back to the Business Growth Advantage. I could not be more excited today to be sharing with all of you someone who is relatively new to my world, but has become one of my secret weapons. And I'll share some stories about how in a second. But in a little bit, Brooke Lively is going to start opening her mouth and talking. And really quickly, you're going to get this sense of, oh, Brooke is the real deal. She's incredibly smart. She can run circles around both most business owners in terms of knowledge of so many of the foundations of what it takes to build a successful business. And if you're like me, you'll probably hear what she has to say and watch this video and think, oh, Brooke is one of those experts that is probably really hard to get a hold of. If I ever get to borrow some of our time, I might feel like I have to <laughs> pay her thousands of dollars for five minutes. I had one lunch with her at a conference and walked away with like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of value. And I want to set the stage there because as we'll get into, Brooke is one of those examples of a business owner who runs a company that you might not be able to work with just yet because of the caliber of business owners that she works with. But I know that Brooke is on a mission to help people become her ideal client. So Brooke, why don't we start there? Tell us about your company. Tell us about the types of businesses that you work with and all of the things that you do to support businesses to get to a point where you can work with them. I'll tell you a little bit of our history. Yeah. Why don't I do that? I really took the long way to owning this company. I did everything but become an entrepreneur mm -hmm. until I was about, I don't know, gosh, almost 40. I went to grad school at 35 and got a degree in finance, which I didn't think I was going to do and worked for a hedge fund, ended up running my father's law firm because he liked to shed his partners every seven to 10 years. If you looked at his oh, CV, geez. it was hysterical. It was like he would hire associates and then five to seven years later, he felt like he had to make the partners. And then he'd be like, I don't like you as a partner. So he would dissolve the law firm and start over and do the same Gosh. thing. <laughs> Did you not learn the lesson? So he had lost the woman who had been with him for 30 years running his firm. And he said, I need some help. I'm like, okay, great. So I ran his firm. And that was when I realized that attorneys are these incredible people. Thank you. You are. I mean, I love attorneys. After you don't hear that enough. So I'll take it. During my lifetime. I've dated a lot of attorneys. Every, <laughs> almost every guy I've ever dated has been a six foot two left-handed lawyer who wears glasses. Wow. Yeah. You have a type I for sure. In high school grew up to become left-handed lawyers who wear glasses. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I got to start dating something different. <laughs> I still haven't gotten married, but 
Anyway, that's a whole different topic. We'll bring you back for the sequel. And <laughs> yeah. We'll get into that. You work on my dating life. So anyway, you guys go to law school. You have very often been the smartest people in the room. You go to law school. They teach you to be the expert. They teach you to have the answers. And you get out of law school and all of a sudden, a huge majority of you end up owning your own business and no one ever taught you how to own a business. And you're supposed to have the answers. And it's very hard to be in a position where you don't know what you're doing and to raise your hand and say, I don't know, I need help. And it frustrated me to watch attorneys struggle with owning a business and be stymied by the business side of owning a law firm. And so when I started CathCap, I started as a fractional CFO company. So we would go in and we would help attorneys understand numbers because let's be honest, you went to law school because you were promised no numbers, right? Yep, yep. That was all you meant. You're speaking to an English major here. I get yeah. it. You went to law school, you were taught one mathematical formula. What is one third of any number? Contingency. Yeah. And if you took the really advanced contingency math course, it was what's 40% if you went to trial. My gosh. Yeah. You didn't take that advanced math course, did you? Nope. Yeah. So you just took the basic 33%. Yes. So, so that was where we started. And then our CFOs were like, there are operational problems that we see because as a CFO, you see everything that's happening in a company, but there are these operational problems that we see that we identify, but we can't solve because it's outside of our bailiwick. Yeah. So we started a COO arm that goes in and helps with things like leadership and operations and efficiencies and those other things that help a law firm run efficiently. HR, all those things that I think our COOs look at both the hard skills of running a business, yeah. but also those soft skills. Which are probably more important. They really are. And if you look at like the hiring environment we've got now, yeah. we yeah. need to keep our employees pretty stinking happy. And I don't want to beat you to this punchline, but I hope we get quickly to the future of law firms and the consolidations that you see on the horizon. I talk to so many law firm owners right now who say, I did this because I didn't want to be an employee anymore. I'm bringing this up now because what I'm starting to realize is it's not that they didn't want to be an employee. They didn't want to be an employee at an awful law firm. Yeah. And I think what experts like you are helping other lawyers do is build great law firms. And I hope that the discussion changes years from now to if you don't like the job you're at, it doesn't mean I don't like being an employee. I should start my own firm. Not to knock being a law firm owner, it's great, but you're really playing a role in creating this new opportunity to say, oh, no, I just want to be at a better law firm. Yeah, we've all heard the stories, or maybe you live this right. My friend, Alcee, graduated from law school, went to work in New York, one of the big law firms billing 2000 hours just to keep his job. He kept clean shirts in the bottom drawer of his desk. 
they knew which partner had the most comfortable couches to get that four hour nap on at night. And it was a race to see who could get the good partner couch. And no one wants to live like that. Or my friend, Amy Sue, who works for a big firm in DC, who ordered dinner in every night on the client's bill. She did all the AOL acquisitions and she also- What's AOL, right? Yeah. She also calculated how much revenue she did for the law firm. And she looked at how much she was getting paid. She's like, I'm totally getting screwed here. And I'm billing more and more and more and more. And I'm not sharing in it. And I'm not seeing my path to promotion. I'm not seeing how this is going to benefit me. And I'm working a ton and I'm miserable. And the fact of the matter is we don't recommend that any law firm have their attorneys bill 2000 hours. We're like 1200. 1400 at a huge push. We talk about the culture of a firm. We talk about people wanting to go see little Timmy's baseball game and little Janie's ballet recital. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's make it somewhere where they want to work. Let's align your needs as an owner for your attorneys to produce with their needs as a spouse, as a parent, and also as a breadwinner, let's get all that in line. Let's make it a win-win for everybody. Let's work on, I am so sorry to say, your skills as a boss, because I promise you at that big law firm, you pretty much learned how to yell and scream and that gets you nowhere. Let's work on your people skills. Let's work on how you develop people. And let's start with you. Let's develop the culture of your firm. Let's create a place where people want to work and where they want to stay. And that's going to really turn things around in your company. I ask people. So people ask me all the time. They're like, are you having a hard time hiring? I'm like, nope. Like, really? In this environment, I'm like, nope. I love it. We have no problem at all. People are like, why not? I'm like, people come to work to us. Come to work for us because of our culture. We are. So much. We are family friendly. We are a virtual workplace. We have been for 10 years from day one. Mm. But our core values are front and center. Yeah. We talk about them in our first interview. Every single interview, you go through five or six interviews with us. Everybody grades on core values all the way through. We want to make sure our core values are sacrosanct. Are you doing that in your firm? Are you building somewhere where people want to work? Yeah. You didn't mention bonuses and gifts and things though, Brooke. (laughs) So I did. I actually did. I talked about bonuses when I talked about aligning your needs as the business owner with the needs of the breadwinner. Mm. But I was saying that a little tongue in cheek, though, because I think that so many people avoid diving into their core values and what that means and instead say, here's extra money. Yeah. What's your. Yeah. We'll throw money at the problem. And the fact of the matter is not everyone is motivated by money. 
I was speaking at a mastermind a few months ago and they were talking about bonuses and money and they were asking me questions. I was like, we run on what's called the pod system. We're about to launch our third pod. And I said, the, the competition between our pods is fierce. Okay. Fierce. And yes, the pods get bunched. The pods sink or swim together. We don't do individual bonuses. We do pod bonuses. So they sink or swim together. But really more than anything, it's the bragging rights. And they will be like, ha ha, and we're beating your butts. And like the conversations back and forth between the pods. I Much more about that than the dollar value that they get. I'm really glad that you bring this up because just recently I was reminded of how competition can still be a healthy and like culturally positive thing. I think I'm hardwired as a peacemaker. So there's a part of me that's always saying no to conflict, but my wife and I just got started on Duolingo together and Mm -hmm. every night we're both doing lessons to try and beat the other person before we go to bed. And it's, but it's great. I'm so glad you said that because I do think that creating that type of healthy, sustainable, collaborative competition can be the thing that pushes people to, in my case, 10 more minutes sprinting through some Duolingo lessons at night. Yeah. And there is such a thing as healthy competition and healthy trash talk. And the other thing is that the teamwork that gets created between in that pod, that's amazing. Right? Yes. They are pulling together. So one of our pods is called What the Fork. Amazing. Okay. We're a bunch of accountants and CPAs and yeah. Oh, I love it. And these pods, just to give me a quick sense of context, are these pods specific to a certain department or do you have one pod that spans marketing sales no, so things. so our pods are mainly sitting in our CFO division. Okay. And the pod has two CFOs. It's got an analyst there. Nice. So okay. it that we, makes sense. Yeah. And I want to zoom out a little bit too. Because I said this earlier, you hinted at it. Tell us more about the type of client that CatCap serves. We work mainly with law firms. We occasionally take non-law firm clients, but we're at about 85%, 90% law firms right now. Revenue sits between two and $25 million. They are firms that want to grow, that are actively looking to improve. They are coachable. They are willing to change. They're going to take action. So here's my perspective when you say that, Brooke, like I'm learning more and more that what motivates me to grow my business Mm -hmm. is to be able to be in the room with a Brooke, with others. And I get so much fulfillment from feeling like I am playing at, you know, what I'm seeing as my highest level. And so I know there are people tuning in, maybe live, the replay or on the podcast who are listening to this and saying, okay, I'm writing this down. It's now on my vision board to get to a point where I can work with Brooke. 
if people aren't there yet, maybe now we can start to shift to what can people be doing? And I know you've got certain categories of if you're at this amount, here's what can get you to the next step. Yeah, I think I have, and it's funny because I want to help everybody. You guys, it is so obvious. She's not just saying that. I brought a notebook that I thought I would just use for the conference and all of it was filled <laughs> after talking to, with Brooke for like two hours. <laughs> and our COO, we actually run on traction. We're an EOS company. Our integrator is like, <laughs> Brooke. We can't help everybody all at once. Hey, I'll take it. So one of the things we've done, we have video courses. Awesome. And we have a YouTube channel. And go to our YouTube channel. We have filmed, I don't know, maybe a hundred videos. Wow. I think. They, they're all like two to three minutes and they cover all kinds of topics. What kind of return should you get on your employee? That's a great topic, man. Three to five X is the answer. Who should be a three and who should be a five? Go watch the video. Guys, she's so good. How, how do I set a billing rate? There's a video on that. How do I get a loan? What do I need to tell the bank? There's a video on that. And most people will go to YouTube, type in a question, and then if they see a video from Brooke, they'll watch it. You guys, the secret here is go to her channel and read through the titles because she's going to be answering questions that you didn't even know to ask. But when you see them, you're like, oh yeah, I should know that. I should know that. And if you email me, we actually have, I don't know, like seven to 10 topics where there are like three to five videos. And we also have things that you can download. There's one on banking and we have one that'll figure out, I think it figures out ratios, personal financial statement. So you'll get instructions on how to fill out a personal financial statement. You'll hear the story that my grandfather always told me to fill out a personal financial statement every January 1st. And why have you done that this year? It's actually really helpful. So helpful. And so you'll get a series of six or seven emails that kind of gives you these bite-sized learning chunks. That's awesome. And is there a particular email that people should use? Yeah. To Brooke at cathcap.com, C-A-T-H-C-A-P.com. And as you can see, Brooke has an E on the end. So Brooke at cathcap.com and I'll just, well, I'll send you links to those. So all the videos that are on YouTube are also contained in those, those learning campaigns, but the learning campaigns have some things that you don't, some downloads that you can't get on the videos. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brooke. You're so generous. And speaking of all the different things that you know, you wrote, you've written books on profit. So let's talk about profit and let's first talk about how you define it because you have such a powerful, holistic way of looking at it. Yeah, I think we all get caught up or we can get caught up into bragging rights. I have a million dollar business. And we'll kind of advice a lot on the altar of the seven figure business. Mm-hmm. And a seven figure business may not actually accomplish anything for you. And I think that what you need to do is you need to define profit for yourself. 
and profit can be money. Absolutely. It can be cash. That profit can be time. And profit can actually be your reputation also. So, Joey, you actually talked about profit earlier, but you didn't couch it that way. You talked about the fact that you're only spending two to three hours a week in your law firm. Yeah. So your law firm is, I'm going to go out on a limb here, giving you enough cash profit to satisfy your financial needs. Yeah. And it is giving you a lot of time profit for you to be able to go off and pursue these other things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's huge. You know, I had a client in Florida who wanted to really get some reputational profit. She mm -hmm. wanted to do big, huge divorces. She only represents women in divorces and she represents women married to high powered, big name men. Okay. And she wanted to do that across the US. That is reputational profit. If you look at some of the women who go out and represent women in some of these cases, they take those cases on pro bono. They're not necessarily making a lot of money off of those cases. They're making a lot of reputational profit, yeah, wow. which may then drive financial profit in their law firm at home. Sure. I love this. I'm now starting to take the notes even more that if you were to ask a business owner, where do you want to be in the future? What do you really want? However, they answer is profit. It almost sounds like. I'm going to go back to this seven figure law firm thing yeah, yeah. that everyone's obsessed with. <laughs> sure. There are people out there who will push to a seven figure law firm. And you know what? Having a $500,000 law firm that gives you $300,000 a year in income that lets you work 40 hours a week, you and a paralegal, yep. only one person to manage, may be more profitable for people than a million dollar law firm with six employees that gives you $150,000 of financial profit where you're working 50 or 60 hours a week and you have the stress of managing all these employees because managing employees may not be your bliss. Yeah. Super well said. Are there times when you still stand for or push people to think bigger? Do you ever hear about people talking about profit and they're telling you, yeah, I'm good here, but you're sensing that they should be reaching for more and that there is more profit in that holistic definition available to them. Yeah. I'm always pushing for my clients to have more. Mm. I think they always can have more, but it's not just the revenue. It's not just the revenue. Yeah. It may be. Yeah. I think you should fire all of your employees, keep your paralegal and right size your firm to create more profit in your life. Mm -hmm to create the life that you'll enjoy. Yeah. We've talked about team quite a bit here in these examples of profit. As a business owner, trying to find ways to become more profitable, 
is looking at team costs generally one of the first places you look to to see what can be done here? Yeah, very often when people come to us, they are feeling that pressure of I have all these team, all these people, all these employees, and I don't feel like we are making as much on the top line as we should be. And I'm like, yeah, because they're all billing four hours a day. WTF. And they're billing four hours a day for different reasons, right? Yep. They may be billing four hours a day because they don't have the work. Okay, that's a marketing problem, right? They may be billing four hours a day because they don't know how to do the work. That's a teaching and training problem. They may be billing four hours a day because they don't have a resource that they need. So they don't have access to Westlaw or so they're going to the law library or their computer has to be rebooted five times a day and that's costing them two hours a day in reboot time. They may be billing four hours a day because they forget to write down their time. That's a different teaching and training pro problem, yep. right? Yep. Or they may be billing four hours a day because they're watching, binging Netflix. Sure. Okay, that's a flat out HR problem, yeah. right? So what's the root cause? And it's digging down. I think there's so many people that say they're only billing four hours a day. And back to the point you made earlier, let's throw more money at it. Yep. Money doesn't solve any of those stinking problems. Right. Or yeah, let's hire an XYZ to fix this for us. Oh, oh, you want to hear my best story about that ever? Yes, please. Okay. So I was having a sales call with a guy and he said, my people aren't doing enough. Here's what I've done. I'm like, okay. He's like, every morning I make a to-do list for every one of my employees. I'm like, oh my God, how much time does that take? Okay. Oh he had then hired, get this, a guy from junior college. He gave them each of the to-do lists. He went around and distributed them to all the attorneys and then sat on all the attorneys all day to make sure that they were checking off their to-do lists. Okay, we got two problems with this. Oh, we got a lot of problems with this. But here's <laughs> the biggest problem. No attorney wants some pimply-faced teenager who hadn't even graduated from junior college telling them what to do. Yeah. Talk about a culture problem. That was a disaster. Yeah, we oh, fired half his staff because he was totally overstaffed. He made money the next month. Man, that's incredible. Okay, so we might circle back to team, but that's now got my gears turning on, okay, what are some other kind of profit creating things? And we talked before we went live about how helpful referrals can be especially if you're not yet at that million or 2 million a year level yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, can I just make a plug yes. really fast? I think that everybody who's trying to get to that one to $2 million thing is always looking for the shortcut. They all think it's going to be on the internet. Yeah. And really it's shoe leather. Mm. It's networking. It's out there hitting the streets. It's meeting people. It's talking to people. 
It's so true. And one of the first books that I read for law firm owners said, you know, your biggest client is your referral partners. For anyone listening that's a lawyer, you may or may not relate to this, but as a trademark lawyer, I quickly realized that unlike a lot of lawyers I know, my strongest referral partners are not other lawyers. We have a few that are great, but a lot of it is other types of business owners that serve businesses. As a trademark firm, we don't get everyone and their mom coming to me saying, hey, I got hit by a car. This my son's in jail. Joey, as a trademark lawyer, can you help me? And me sending people wherever. And trademarks are, they're not like I got hit by the trademark bus kind of problem. And so a lot of the referrals that we get to your point, Brooke, are people who they can see, oh, my clients aren't trademarked yet. I need to send them to Joey. It's more of a proactive connection than they're getting all of these emails asking who you know that can help with this. Can you talk a little bit about the types of networking or referral partners that you can be looking for, whether that's clients, other types of business owners or attorneys and what your tips are there? Yeah, I think that the best thing that anyone ever told me was, who are the professionals that your clients use? Mm, that's a great way to say it. Right? So if you are an estate planning attorney, who are the people that your clients use? Well, they're going to use accountants. They're going to use money managers. Right? Yeah. They might be using funeral homes. If you do planning, I got to tell you, they're using retirement homes or what yep. nursing homes really. Sure. Yeah. Where are your clients? Who are those other providers? Who are those trusted advisors? Yeah. If you're estate planning, they're using, oh, who are the end of life? We keep calling them the death nurses because there's some on my floor here at the office. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh. oh, that's so good. And one thing that I'm sure you've seen before, and it's something that if I just can get transparent and vulnerable for a minute, indie law, one of the things that I love about being a trademark attorney is there is there's so much diversity and youth in the space right now. And it's one of the few practice areas that if you want to be a total digital nomad, you can take clients wherever. And we're hearing more and more about these younger attorneys that want to get into the trademark space. And so we've got a growing number of law students and even lawyers who are going out on their own who are part of our part-time attorney team. Mm -hmm. And one thing that we are seeing as a law firm that serves small businesses is when you first start those other professionals that you're networking with might be serving businesses at a lower level than others. And one of the things that we are working on is as indie law is leveling up and as our ideal client is leveling up, how are, how can we keep our eyes peeled on, okay, what are those next levels of professionals that we can build relationships with as our prices increase and as the business owners that we work with get more established? Well, and as the complexity of the work you take changes. Yeah, yeah. The complexity of the law firms we work with 10 years ago compared to the complexity of what we work with now, 
is mind boggling. Yeah. Right. If you had handed me one of the firms we work with now, 10 years ago, I would have been like, however, we have hired incredible people over the past 10 years and we're able to do that. And you're doing the same thing. And one of the things we do is we have a really robust tracking system. So I was telling you earlier, 18% of our referrals come from professional referrals. Yeah. As a 50% conversion rate, I can go down to the person and I can tell you what a person's conversion rate is. Joey, I can tell you how many clients you have sent us and I can tell you what the conversion rate is on your clients. It's so good. It's so helpful. It's something that we're working towards. My question for you on that, and this is something that I feel like you can both empathize with and continue to just drop golden nuggets around is for business owners that are committed to a referral strategy, to getting out there and networking, it can often feel like that's the type of marketing that is really hard to track, really hard to see when the ROI will come. You uh, what tips? Yeah. How do, how do you- a spreadsheet. Well, my question is, and fair point, how do you recommend that people start out projecting if I do okay, these networking, what can I expect? That is hard. And I got to tell you, it is still one of those things. How many people do we need to touch to get a referral? I got to say, I'm still not entirely sure. Mm. For my business. You're saying there's not a YouTube video? There's not a YouTube video for <laughs> them. What can I say? Just keep going. Yeah. And I can tell you statistically, if we talk to this many people, we will get a referral. Yeah. You just keep going. We have found that some referrals come because the referral person, we talk to someone. Yeah. So there's this ripple effect that happens. Yeah. On that note, are there any programs or organizations that you think are just no-brainer investments that can help people when it comes to referrals? There's one that you and I talked about and you joined and I'm in. It's EO, Entrepreneurial Organization. So good. And it was founded. So there's a group out there called YPO, Young Presidents Organization. And I can't remember exactly what the YPO thing is. There's a big revenue number and a large number of employees in your I think payroll has to be 5 million a year to get in. And they found that people weren't growing fast enough to make the age cutoff to be in YPO. Mm. So they started a group called EO to help people grow to get in it. Got it. So then EO kind of became its own thing. And you have to have a million dollars in revenue to get into EO. And then they realized that there were all these companies that weren't growing fast enough to hit a million dollars because what is it? Only 5% of the businesses in the U S hit a million dollars in revenue. Crazy. But yeah. And they do such a great job with screaming that statistic. They do in a good way because you need to know that you need to know that. And so now they've started a program called the accelerator program. And you're usually in it for two years. I might've been in it a little longer, but look at you now, Brooke. Yeah, but that's okay. But Accelerator's great. It really focuses on some things to help you to grow. And EO has a very strict non-solicitation policy. Yes. You cannot go in and solicit. 
That being said, EOers like to do business with EOers. Yeah. Well said. And they will turn to the EO network first. And I also have to make a plug for the EO network. If you look at one of my books, there's a quote on the front from Gino Wickman, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Gino Wickman wrote Traction, a big deal, right? Yeah. Do you know why he wrote the quote for the final I know because you told me EO. EO. Vern Harnish. My gosh, so awesome. You can put it out there in that EO network and say, I need to get to this person for this reason. And somebody will say, I'll do an intro for you. That's because that's there so is powerful. someone that knows them. It is amazing. Well, and again, to your point about profit and the holistic definition of it, in so many ways, I feel like I've already won by being in a part of these, like it's the journey that I am now on is the win for me, right? Yeah. And you're about to go through what strategy day? I believe people day. I believe people day is next. We did people day. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be, I always get so much out of those programs. It really is fantastic. Before I forget, cause I didn't write it down. One of the other potential profit killers that I'm starting to see is people over investing in programs. Yeah. Now I think you and I both say that there are, whether it's EO or hiring Brooke, there are definitely investments that are worth it and you should be setting aside a percentage to invest in things like that. But I'm seeing this trend of business owners who become profit stretched because they just want to join everything. Because they're program junkies? Yeah. Yeah. I think that you really need to look at the total cost of any program that you're doing and really look at the ROI, the return on investment. And when I say the total cost, you need to look at the fees that you're paying. If they meet in person, you need to look at the travel costs. Yeah. You need to look at the cost of being out of the office. Sure. There's some opportunity cost there. Would you have been in the office billing? What would you have been doing? I can go to an event and would I have been in the office billing? No, I don't work directly with clients anymore. Right. Right. So there's no opportunity cost there for me. Right. But for a lot of people, there is. What is that total cost? I had a sales call with somebody one time and she was like, I'm getting so much value out of this. I'm like, great. My sales are up like $60,000 this year. I'm like, that's great. But you've spent $100,000 all in on this program. Yeah. So I'm not thinking that's a good value. Right. Oh, and by the way, this is the first time in your life that you're running a loss. So, you know, what are you getting out of it? And who's benefiting? I had one client who was doing, oh, what's his name? I am not the guy who, I am not your guru, Tony Robbins. Oh, yes. Yeah. So he was doing Tony Robbins and I start seeing the charges come through and I'm like, dude, what's this $100,000? What's this $8,300 a month? Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm doing Tony Robbins and it is awesome. And it's going, it's saving my marriage. And I promise you, 
$100,000 is less than it would cost me to get divorced. I'm like, oh yeah, it is. Absolutely, 100% support you on that. However, let's be very clear. That's not benefiting your business. Yeah. That is benefiting you personally. And so I'm not saying don't run it through the business. Like that's between you and your tax accountant. But we set up our clients' P&Ls so that all those personal things you are running through the business come down at the bottom. I love how you allow for that. You say it's okay. Like the true profit of the company. Yeah. And then how are you benefiting? Because we've had so many clients that are like, I'm not getting paid enough and I'm not taking enough money out and all of it. And we're like, dude, you're running $200,000 worth of crap through your business. You're getting paid more than you think. And they're like, oh, that changes things. By the way, Tony Robbins did not ultimately save his marriage. And he not only paid Tony Robbins $100,000, he got divorced about a year and a half. Oh, jeez. I Mm. met his wife. I could have told you that was going to happen. Oh, my gosh, Before we run out of time here, because I do want to respect your time, I want to share a story and then get your thoughts on it. Because it's top of mind for me. And I really empathize around this conversation of when we as business owners talk to people with programs or with high ticket services, a lot of times what we're hearing from those experts is we work with people who look at what we do, not as a cost, but as an investment. If you were a real entrepreneur, you would act quickly on this. As someone who I know works with with the caliber of business owners that you do, what are some talking points that you recommend that we can keep in our heads to play more competent defense when we might be with those types of salespeople? I personally don't believe in high pressure sales. There's so many people that are taught to sell by taking you to the edge of the cliff and kind of dangling you over and saying, this is what's going to happen if you don't buy. I don't believe in selling through fear. And if somebody's doing that, I don't know. I just question the value they're providing. Really look at what they're doing. Don't be afraid to ask for references. I have people ask me for references all the time. Great. Absolutely. Great tip. You want to talk to some of my clients? Talk away. I will find people that are of a like size in a practice area, in a similar geographic area. I'll give you a selection of people to talk to. Oh, great. Because I want you to talk to people. I want you to understand. I want you to understand the good, the bad, right? Ask what it's like to actually work with them. I'm going to be really blunt with you. I'm going to tell you the first few months of working with us, it might be a little disruptive. Sure. We're going to ask you to do some hard stuff. It is not all rainbows and unicorns and ponies. And if they're telling you it's all rainbows and unicorns and ponies, if they say they're going to fix it in the first week, they're not going to fix it in the first week. Yeah. If they point you to their one amazing testimonial that happened to one of their clients in terms of results. Totally. Man. This is such a powerful conversation. Thank you. And I just want to say one other thing about that. In my family, we believe in sleeping on it. Mm. And I love that. Something that you think, ooh, 
maybe I should buy that. And the big ticket, I mean, if you see a $5 item, buy the $5 item. Sure. But if you see something that's kind of bigger, sleep on it. Did you dream about it? Did you wake up thinking about it? Are you excited about it? Do you want to do it? And if you go to sleep and you don't think about it for the next week, that's really telling. Yeah. And also listen to your tummy. Attorneys have amazing gut instincts. I guess what I'm telling you is don't get caught up in the hype. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Joy's right. It's great, really great advice. Brooke, while I have you, I want to ask you one more question. And I want to go back to, I want to combine back to that profit conversation, combining the importance of networking. Because again, I want to do what we can to help businesses get to a place where they can call you and say, hey, we're ready for you. If people are at that stage where, like you said, they should really be focusing on networking and referrals right now. And if they have a team, to what extent do you see room to get the team involved in networking and getting visible and becoming champions and representatives of the company? Oh, absolutely. Do it. No doubt. hundred percent. Everybody on your team can represent. So your attorneys, give them 10% of everything that's billed on a case they bring in. Whether they bill it, whether you bill it, whether a paralegal bills it, give them 10%. People always ask me why 10%. Here's why 10%. We should never spend more than 10% of our revenue on marketing. Mm. However, if you think about it, if an attorney goes out and gets a case and brings it to you, they have gone out and marketed. You spend 10% to get a case, spend that 10%, give them the 10%. Oh, great. That's totally fine. Give them 10%. Yeah. Set up bonuses for your non-attorneys also. Give them a hundred bucks, 500 bucks. I don't care what it is. It can't be tied to the value of the case. Right. Joey, really for you, it can be because you're flat fee. It opens some great doors though of, to your point, you helped us connect with a lead that we wouldn't have had if not for the action that you're taking. Exactly. They're going out marketing. The other thing is, and we haven't talked about this, but the legal industry is going to change in the next three to five years. Yeah, it really is. There is going to be non-attorney ownership. It is already happening in Arizona. Utah has what they call the sandbox, which I don't think is as scalable as what they're doing in Arizona. When you start looking at a law firm and what makes a law firm attractive, a law firm that is not 100% reliable on the owner to bring in the cases is much more attractive and much more valuable. Right. So law firms are going to start being bought and sold. There's going to be consolidation within the industry as these laws get passed before non-attorney ownership comes in. And then let me tell you, it's going to be a whole different world when we start to have private equity money and accounting firms start buying law firms, which is what happened in the UK. We need to be prepared and we need to start thinking about what we need to do to our firms to make them not only attractive to buyers, but to make them competitive in this new world order that's coming down the pike. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. And it makes me think too, the fact that there can be these non-lawyer owners, I think should be even more empowering to your non-attorney staff to say, hey, now 
more than ever, it makes sense for you to get out there and talk about the fact that you're associated with this law firm. Absolutely. And it doesn't mean anything that you're not a lawyer on our team. Yeah. Because you know what? Someday you may be able to give them a piece right. of the pie. So good. Brooke, I cannot thank you enough for your time. You're just like a fountain of, it took you what, 10 hours to write your second book? <laughs> Is that what you said before we went live? So hey, good. I want to make a plug for you about books. Okay. Because this is something that most people don't know. So I've got six books. I'm writing my seventh. So I have these books. They're called Panic to Profit. Do you know why I have two books? Do you know why it only took me 10 hours to write my second book? You guys, guess. <laughs> I so, know because I'm a trademark lawyer is the hint. You see this little R right here? Mm-hmm. I trademarked from Panic to Profit. You cannot trademark a book name unless it's part of a series. True. It is true. I wrote this book and then I took it and swapped out all the stories for a different freaking industry. Not only did she do that, but if you read the book, there's a phrase that is trademarked in the book. And that is trademarked because that's a series of an, other books that she wrote. You got Matrix I, on this. This is Russian I, doll trademarks. And I own those trademarks for all kinds of things. I own them for the book title. I own them for learning series. I think I own them for TV. I own them for radio. I own them for all kinds of stuff. And it was because this was before I met Joey. Because my trademark attorney... It's a great trademark attorney, just like Joey is, and made me think ahead to how I might use it. And that is huge. Never occurred to me that I might do online learning. Do I own it for online learning? You bet your tushy I do. It is so powerful to claim that space because everyone and their grandma right now is coming up with an online course or a something. And if you don't do the work that Brooke did now more than ever, you might be accidentally infringing on another course that's out there. Yeah. So it's awesome. you get the A plus from this attorney, Brooke, <laughs> the gold star and everything. Well, again, oh, I love getting you, a gold star. I live to win. Thank you so much for your time, everybody. I'll make sure to put Brooke's email in the comments and the show notes. Again, so generous with her. This is definitely one of those times where when a guest offers to help, I really recommend that you take them up on it. And Brooke, any final words for our audience here? Yes, I really, I do love to help. And I do have a passion for those smaller struggling firms. And if you're smaller and you're struggling, yeah, I'll spend an hour with you. I'll help you. I will solve, I will do my best to help you solve that biggest problem that's in front of you right now so that you can move forward. You guys you see what I mean when I called her my secret weapon. All right, everybody. I'll see you next week. Bye. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Business Growth Advantage with me, Joey C. Vitale. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week. Learn